Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome to church. Really amazing to be together. Who's excited to be at church tonight? I am. This morning I was with Mark. He's been preaching at Urban Edge in uh, Pinehurst, which really is the other side of the world. We had to leave at six this morning to get there. No, I'm joking. Um, But really had a lot of fun. And I must tell you, it was really great visiting another church. But you guys are cool. And I like coming home. So really, really amazing to be here this evening. Um, We're going to have lots of fun tonight, if that's all right. We're continuing on with our series, Eternity Matters. But before we do that, I just like I, I haven't said this yet. My name is Tyler. I'm part of the team here at Life Changes, married to my amazing wife, Kate. Um, and we have the privilege of being on the leadership team here at Life Changes. I have the privilege this evening of preaching, which is really exciting. I cannot believe they would trust me with a microphone, but we'll give it a go. Also, we've made the stage higher. So now Cornet can see everyone, which is wonderful. Um, tonight, I just want to celebrate two quick things. The first one, if we have that picture on the screen, um, There we go. Um, That amazing girl over there, his name is Ankia. And um, this afternoon, my wife said to me, suck your stomach in for the photo, Tyler. Um, But that amazing girl's name is Ankia. She's been in our community for probably 18 months to possibly two years. And she made a decision to get baptized this afternoon. So we had the proof. So can we celebrate that? We want to celebrate um, steps of obedience. And Ankia, we really love you. eh? We love having you part of this community. She's sitting over there with all the mates. Um, but we're really excited, and we want to say, if you haven't been baptized, do it. The life of God's in it because Jesus called us to do it, um, but we want to celebrate what God's doing in this community. We're a community of believers. We love Jesus together. We don't get it right all the time, but we want to passionately pursue God. Then there's another girl in the community who I'm not going to mention her name just because I haven't asked her yet if I can, um, but this week she, um, she's been trusting God through this Eternity Matters series, walking with one of our leaders, decided to make some financial decisions to give and do a whole bunch of stuff. And this past week, she went from working. She's been trusting for a full-time job. She's been working part-time. And this week, she got a full-time job at a, a school in the area, which is really exciting. And we want to share those praise reports. We really want to share what God's doing in our community. Then my final thing for this evening, I'd love to read a quick scripture and then we're done. No, I'm joking. Um, but in, in 1 Timothy 2, it says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of our truth. Two things I get from that scripture. One, God loves it when we pray. And God loves it when people meet Him. And so what we're doing is we've just kicked off this um, Sunday evening at 20 past 5 every week. We are going to be praying as a community. Um, There were a bunch of us today. And actually, as we build up to Christmas, we're going to be spending the next few weeks praying for salvation. Because we want people in our community to meet Jesus. So today we were praying for this meeting, that people would meet Christ, and that actually we would be courageous enough to invite. But what I want to say is come join us. It's not that much earlier. It's 40 minutes before the meeting. It's a 20-minute time where we pray together. Actually, come join us, 20 past 5. We'd love for you to be there. And bring names. Bring family members. I can, I'm 100% sure. Amen. I'm 100% sure that every person in this room would have a family member or friend who they're trusting to meet Jesus. 
I know I have. And I believe that if we stand together in prayer, we can win the battle long before they walk in the church, long before they come to a Christmas meeting. So can I invite you, come and join us 20 past five every Sunday. It will never change. Every Sunday meeting, we'll be praying at 20 past five. Um, So please come and join us for that. Is that good? Wonderful. Tonight we are carrying on with our series, Eternity Matters. It is the final week of the series. Who has loved this series? I've been so challenged and so called to more as we've preached this. Um, it really is very, very powerful. And, and so what I'd love to do this evening is just wrap it up and actually talk a little bit about, and the title of my message this evening, it's, it's, it's actually unbelievable. What is the goal? It's good, eh? Everyone going, amen. We have no idea what it means. But this evening, I want to talk a little bit about well, what is the goal? What is the try line? What is the thing that we are running for in life? Because every single one of us has goals. Whether you think you do or you don't, you either have them on purpose or you have them inadvertently. Every single one of us has goals. And when I say goals, I don't mean the, you know, when you do a mood board. I've never been able to do a mood board and you try and work out your goals. I don't mean that. Actually, what I mean is that every one of us have got a set of things that we want to accomplish in this life. Am I right? And so we write them down and every New Year's we rewrite them down and we add a couple more. But actually, I think this thing of goals is fascinating See, it's a question that people ask themselves daily, weekly, yearly. I think sometimes we think that it's, it's for the 20-somethings, you know, who are driven and want to achieve in the workplace and all that stuff. So they're goal-orientated and they're wondering about the bottom lines and, and salaries at the end of the month and all of these different things. But actually, I can tell you, you speak to any age, any gender, any race, and they will tell you that they have dreams and desires in their heart. They have goals. They want to achieve something with their life. And actually tonight, what I want to do is I want to take, well, what is the goal? What is the driver of our lives? And I want to frame it in eternity. Because if we do not frame this thing in eternity, we will continue to live with a great idea, but no practice. See, eternity is a phenomenal idea. And actually for most 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old, however you are, however old you are in this room, I think often it just remains an idea. Remains this thing that we go, oh, one day when? But the reality is, it is a reality for every single one of us. I don't know if you guys have heard of Lifehack, um, the website, and they post all sorts of things very helpful around how to peel potatoes and all sorts of things. But they wrote a list of the ultimate list of 29 goals for living a fulfilled life. Are you ready? I only wrote 13 of them because 29 is a lot. First one, start a, a gratitude journal. Create a healthy life plan. Be healthy. Find a way to give back. Start a creative hobby. Become more mindful. That one I need to work on. Become, be kind daily. Seek personal growth. Be financially secure. Take a risk. Spend one evening not talking about yourself. <laughs> that was a good one for me. Um, read personal development books. Ask for more per, uh, responsibility at work. And the list goes on and on and on. I don't know about you. But when I read that, I get tired. <laughs> like, wow, there are a lot of things that I have to do to live a fulfilled life. And I promise you, you can just Google goals for life, and you will see hundreds of websites giving you the 43 and the 52 and the 85 and the 100 and the 12 and the 16 ways to live a great life. Tonight, I want to tell you about one way, and his name is Jesus. I'll tell you about one way. There is one way to live a great life. 
There is one way to live a fulfilled life. There is one way to live a purpose-driven life. There is one way to live a life that you will be satisfied in your absolute core. His name is Jesus. You see, many of us have these individual goals, but actually I believe that all of us have a, a specific one. You know, there's almost this driver that sits inside of us. Some of us, it's financial success. Some of us, we want to be the fittest, healthiest human being on the planet. Some of us, it's all of these different things that we draw. Our father was a bad father, so now we want to be an exceptional father, and we live and exist for our children. That is a good thing, but when it's not framed in Christ, it can be a bad thing. And actually, we all live with this driver, and I love Jesus is interacting and he's, he's walking and he arrives at a pool and he arrives at this pool and he, he meets a man who is an invalid and he has been an invalid crippled for 38 years. And Jesus, the man says to him, hey, can you put me in the pool? And this pool was a pool of significance. It was a pool that they believed if he could get in, he believed he could be healed. And Jesus said to him, actually, sir, get up and walk. And he got up and he walked and he ran away. He was so excited by the healing. He didn't really pay attention to who had healed him. But later on, the Pharisees find this man and they say to him, who healed you? And they say, well, Jesus. And, and Jesus was, had already become a significant figure in this community. And actually, they, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they started to tune him. Because in that day, for you to perform a miracle on the Sabbath was viewed illegal. And they, they, they challenge Jesus, and Jesus responds like this in John 5, 19. Je Jesus is clever. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. You see, Jesus' one driver was to do the will of his father. One driver, one goal, one purpose. See, sometimes I think we make it really complicated. We've got 15, 20, 30, 40 different things we need to achieve every month. And, and those things are not bad things. But the big thing is where do those things come from? Are they born out of insecurity? Or are they born out of relationship with Christ? And Jesus says, my one driver, my one purpose, my one everything, the reason I heal and preach and lived a life of perfection for 30 years before he began his ministry and was challenged by Satan and did all of these things, one reason, I'm going to do the will of my Father. It's this unbelievable reality. And so tonight we're going to read a little bit and then we're going to get stuck into two very simple thoughts that I believe will help us outwork this reality of living with an eternal perspective. You can turn your eyes to the screen. It's John 15. It's a well-known text. It's where Jesus speaks about being the true vine. And we're going to read this together. It starts like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in him, in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. I think that's a phenomenal line. By this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father, I pray tonight, as we engage with your scriptures, Jesus, I pray that our joy would be made full. I pray every deficit and every lack in this room, God, would be filled by you, King Jesus. We pray, Father, that tonight we would learn just a glimpse of what it means to abide in you, what it means to live our lives linked and grafted into you, King Jesus. Amen. I think so often we read scriptures about Jesus and we read the way he acted, the way he dealt with things, the way he lived, and we go, wow, I wish I could be like that. Wow, I wish I could achieve and live as Jesus did. And I want to tell you, in 11 verses, Jesus has explained to his disciples how to live like he did. You see, I believe that this is... um, This discourse was actually part of something called the farewell discourse. What Jesus was doing is, uh, it's in the book of John, and John focuses a lot on Jesus' personal moments. The other gospels focus on a lot of his public moments. John was was the one who, he loved Jesus, they were very close, and so he focuses a lot on the personal moments, and, and this is just before Jesus starts the process to go into the cross. And he's speaking with his disciples and he speaks about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he speaks about how to live a godly life and and what you should do as believers. He's speaking to his disciples. He's training them. He's teaching them. And then he begins this discourse, speaking about a vine. But if you understand vines in the Jewish culture, they were very significant. Actually, the people of Israel were often referred to as the vine of God. They were the people of God. And so this was a significant thing for them. And I believe that he was teaching them how to be believers with an eternal perspective. You see, in order to live lives with eternity at the helm of that, with Christ at the center, we have to shift our goals. We have to shift the goal line. Because the world will dictate to you many different goals. It will tell you a whole bunch of things that you have to achieve before you die in order to be successful. I want to tell you that Jesus was the most countercultural man that ever lived. He taught an opposite gospel. The Pharisees were talking about this reality of we need to look good and we need to act well in front of people. And Jesus comes and he says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. You can imagine for them, they were going, what? No, because I'm worried about your heart. And so what did Jesus do? He started to shift the goal line. He started to shift the purpose of a believer's life. As a believer in Christ, we have to ask the question, what is the purpose of my life? And I think so often we, we shunt this thing to the side. And, and the first point I'd like to make, and the first and most important thing, I believe believers are called to be the absolute goal line is very simply this, become like Christ. Become like Christ. Become like Jesus. You see, that word abide, or in other translations, it's, it's remain, it means to be with always. In the ESV study Bible, it says abide in me means to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. 
To abide in Christ means to be constantly in relationship with Jesus. Have you ever been to a vineyard? Any of the wine tasters in the room who really enjoy a bottle of wine? Be honest, I know you're here. I love it. I love going to wine farms, these beautiful vistas as you look out over a vineyard. Have you ever seen a vineyard working really hard? Have you seen that? Have you ever seen the vineyard going, whoo, it's been a long day. I haven't seen, they always look very peaceful. They make my heart very peaceful. Actually, have you ever gone up to a vineyard and gone, vineyard, how are you? And they've gone, whoo, I'm busy. So this week, whoo, hectic. Have you ever done that? No, because they don't. They abide and they bear fruit. They stay where they have to be and they bear fruit. It's phenomenal. You'll never see a vineyard trying to make oranges. You'll never see that. Why? Because they know that if they're grafted in, because vineyards do work hard. There's a whole load of stuff going on there that is creating those grapes that will eventually become that wine. But they are doing what they were made to do. And so they're not straining. They're not stressing. John Marcoma has just done a thing on, on hurry and how hurry grips our lives. And actually, hurry has become something that you can be diagnosed with. And there's a couple of questions they ask about this, and they say, well, a couple of indicators. Do you always move to a different queue at the supermarket because you're trying to get to the till faster? Guilty as charged. Do you always try and overtake the car in front of you, and he's only going 5Ks an hour slower than you? Guilty as charged. You see, the challenge in that is, and he says this, he says, having a lot to do is not a bad thing, but when we start to self-perform, when we take ourselves out of the vine and we try to do this on our own, we become anxious, hurried, rushed people. Now, I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't push for more. I'm saying abide in Jesus. Find your strength in Jesus. Find your capacity in Jesus. I think so often we do a lot of our Christian lives outside of abiding in Christ. You see, when it's going well at my job, I don't need Jesus. I'm perfectly fine. And the challenge is we say, no, that's not true. But actually, the description that Jesus says to his disciples, abide in me, abide, means daily relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to spend four hours in Scripture every morning. If you did that, it would probably be incredibly beneficial to you. But what it does mean is that I am consistently aware of the presence of Jesus in my life. I promise you it will start to inform your decisions. I promise you it will start to shape the way you live your life. I want to abide in Christ. See, we, when it's going well, we run to ourselves. When it's going badly, we run to God. And in His grace and His kindness, He still comes through. But I want to tell you that life will start to look very different if we can get the simple thing of abiding right. See, Jesus didn't give us a lot of instructions. The law had hundreds and hundreds of instructions. Jesus just gives us a few, and he kind of repeats them over and over again. And one of them is very simply this, abide in me, become like me. You see, we've got to adjust the goal line. We've got to understand that everything belongs to Jesus. Galatians 2.20, famous scripture, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, we have Jesus who has this discourse. He says, abide in me, live your life in me, do everything in me. Then we have a man named Paul who became an apostle after Jesus died. So he lived a similar Christianity to what we do. Making this statement in a letter to the Galatian church, it is not I, it's Jesus in me. When we get this right, our lives will transform. 
When last did you go to Jesus when you made a financial decision? Small and big. When we become aware, when we abide, when we are constantly with Christ, it transforms the way we act. You see, we've got to understand that our, our time belongs to Jesus. When we abide, when we are in Christ, our time is His. We need to understand that our talents belong to Jesus. Your work skill does not belong to your job and your home time belongs to God. No. You see, it's a different understanding. We are, I say this often. We are so good at compartmentalizing. We go, this is my job. This is my God relationship. This is my family. This is all of those things. No, the Bible teaches us that all of those things should flow out of abiding in Christ. You see, this is a practical reality. Our time, our talents, they belong to Jesus. Our treasures belong to Jesus. I have to remind myself of this every day. My finances, all of these things, we've been talking about money because Jesus talks a lot about money. And actually one of the key understandings is that our money is God's because he gave it to us. See, if you give yourself to daily walking with Christ, generosity becomes easy. Why? Because Jesus was the most generous, generous man who ever lived. And so when I become more like Christ, generosity becomes easy. Do you struggle to be generous? Spend time with Jesus. Do you struggle to be kind? Spend time with Jesus. Do you struggle to be compassionate? This is real, guys. I'm not, I'm not I'm trying to condemn you by going, do you struggle to be kind? No, I struggle to be kind. But I realize that the scriptures teach me that if I abide in Christ, if I become part of his vine, the kindness will become easier and easier and easier. And I love that line he says in that scripture. He says, this is how they will know you are my disciples. Not because you do lots and lots of good things. Not because you're out there preaching on a soapbox. No, because you have a relationship with me. I promise you, if you abide in Christ, your life will look completely different. The anxiety, the stress, all of the things that hold us in life, this underlying anxiety that exists there all the time. Am I going to make it to the end of the month? Am I going to have enough? Are my friends happy with me? Is my wife happy with me? All of a sudden, those things will disappear. Why? Because you're abiding in Christ. I trust this makes sense. Everything flows from relationship with Christ. When we are close to Jesus, eternity becomes easy to understand. Because my goal line has shifted. I'm no longer pursuing a career. I'm pursuing a relationship with Christ. Out of that relationship comes my career. Out of that relationship comes my family. Out of that relationship comes my friendships. Out of that relationship comes sharing the gospel with those who don't know. I can tell you the time that it is the easiest for me to share the gospel of Christ is when I have spent time with God. If I have neglected personal time with Jesus, sharing the gospel becomes incredibly difficult. Why? Because I'm not abiding in Him. It's not a, a tick box. Abiding can never be a tick box. It needs to be a state of being. And I believe we practice it. We practice it. We practice it. In my car, I'll be driving and I'll be listening to the radio and irritated about a million things. And then every so long, I'll just go, hey, maybe I should, let me just, I'll become aware of God for a moment. And that becomes a practice. And all of a sudden, you are practicing the way of Jesus. Jesus often went into spaces and they said, come preach. And he said, no, I need to spend time with my father. Then other times they said, come preach. And he went. Sometimes we have to create rhythms in our world that allow us to abide in Christ. 
Number one, become like Jesus. And number two, very simply, leave a legacy. What I mean by this is when we shift the goal line, the legacy we leave will change. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. We bear fruit. We bear good fruit. All of a sudden in your life, you will start to see the influence and power of Christ. You'll just start to see it. You won't understand it. You'll just start to see it. And all of a sudden, your legacy will start to look like something powerful. A couple of weeks ago, a man named Elon Musk, and many of you will know Elon Musk, he tweeted this statement. He said, no one ever changed the world in 40 hours a week. And then he went on to say, 60 hours, you might get something done. 80 hours, you might get a bit more done. 100 hours, you might change the world. It's interesting perspective. What he's saying is if you work a 40-hour job and you go home to your family, you're doing it wrong. And if the goal line is ridiculous financial success, then he's doing it right. But actually, if the goal line is that I want to be a phenomenal father to my children, then it's different. You see, because legacy, when you are abiding in Christ, looks different to the world. Most people, when they process legacy, they simply process this, leave enough money for my children to be okay when I die. I want to say to you, God is the provider for your children. God is the provider for your wife, for your family members, for your parents. God is their provider. I want to say to you, leave an eternal legacy. You see, if you go read a little bit about Elon Musk, he's phenomenally successful in business. But go look at his relational life. Failed marriages, estranged children, a whole bunch of brokenness has followed that sacrifice. What is better, a successful businessman or a present father? I'd say a present father. Because you know what happens when you're a present father? You leave a legacy that affects generations. Because your sons and your daughters will be phenomenal parents. And their sons and their daughters will be phenomenal parents. And they will impact the world for change. Can you see that when the goal line changes, the intent, the purpose, the way we live our lives starts to look a lot more like Jesus and a lot more like the world. You see, we cannot have our kind of ungodly ideas about goals in our lives and try and be Christian. We've got to shift the goal line. We have to leave a legacy that impacts not just our generation, but generations to come. That is what an eternal legacy looks like. I believe that God wants to do this in our community. You see, many people on a daily basis choose between an earthly or an eternal inheritance. We read in the Bible, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I've got all the commandments. I'm a really good guy. What do I need to get into the kingdom of God? Jesus says, cool, go sell everything you have and follow me. No. See, now we think that, ah, oh, but I would never do that. But actually, every day we are faced with decisions. Do I want an eternal legacy or do I want an earthly legacy? Now, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But the question I would ask is, where is that coming out of? Is it out of abiding in Christ, finding relationship in Christ? I promise you, sir or ma'am, your job will start to become the most exciting thing you do Monday to Friday if you abide in Christ. Because it becomes an, an opportunity for the kingdom rather than a burden. 
See, I'm not trying to make us feel condemned. I'm trying to show us a picture of what our lives can look like when we shift the goal line from an earthly perspective to an eternal perspective, a perspective that says abide in Christ. I love this thing he says. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he means by this is not that you can do absolutely nothing, because quite obviously people who are far from God do things. What he's saying is that you can do nothing of eternal value. Outside of Christ, we can do nothing of eternal value. Now, what's so exciting about this is, guess what? Jesus won the battle. Guess what? Jesus returned you to relationship with him. Guess what? Jesus has done everything you need to be in relationship with God. We simply have to abide. I love that line. He says, you have been made clean by the word that I spoke. Now abide in me. It means that your sin has been washed away. Now abide in him. Live your life grafted into the vine. I promise you, he will bring you every measure of success you can imagine. I love that line. He says, ask, abide in me, ask for whatever you want. And you'll get it. It's quite a statement. But when we abide in Christ and our goal line shifts and we start to see eternity, the perspective of eternity, the things we ask for start to change. I'm trusting God for my dad's salvation. What does that mean? It means I've got to phone him every second day. It means I've got to find out how he's doing. It means I've got to fly up to Joburg once a year and go see how he's doing. You understand? It changes the way that we do things. Actually, okay, I'm going to go out of my way. Why? That's not my natural. I don't often phone people out of the blue. I'm learning how to do it. But actually, okay, I'm living with an eternal perspective. I'm abiding in God. Okay, I'm going to do this. Leave a legacy. You see, I think a, couple, a week and a half ago, I started something. I know, it's unbelievable. I was a little bit chubby. So I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start, and I love the joke. How do you know someone's on the keto diet? They tell you. So a, couple of, a week and a half ago, I decided I am going to start keto. And basically what keto is, if you're wondering, you eat a very little carbs and a lot of fat and a lot of protein. Um, you can come ask me about it later. But basically, what it has meant is that I have had to make some decisions to get to a goal. Now, my goal is to lose 14 kilos. In a week and a half, I lost five. I know, I'm looking slender. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said to my wife, I'm looking good, eh? I said, yeah. And then I looked in the mirror. Okay, anyway, we're going to carry on. But you know what is phenomenal about this thing? And I've done it a million times, guys. I've gone, oh, I'm going to start this thing. I'm not going to touch a single piece of sugar in the world. I'm going to do it. But what is phenomenal about this process that I'm on and I've failed at already is I have to make little decisions every day. I don't make one big decision and then carry on. And I believe that abiding in Christ means to make little decisions every single day. And you see, what we do is we profile God as the big decisions guy, and I'm the little decisions guy. No, he needs to be in every moment, in every decision, in every process, in every single one. When last, when you decided to date someone, did you go, God, what do you think about this? Never forget a youth pastor, when I got saved at a, at a youth in Malcolm Strand, I was dating a girl, she was not a believer, I'd just gotten saved. I went to him about three months later, I said to him, what do, I honestly can't even remember his name right now, but I said to him, what do I do? 
And I was expecting him to go, I think you should break up with her, or it's fine, or I wanted an answer. What do I do? And he said this amazing statement. He said, how has it affected your relationship with God? And I left a bit irritated. I was like, I went to the pastor to get an answer. And he asked me a question. This is not how this works. And I left. I thought, okay, well, I suppose I've got to ask God. God, how is this affecting my relationship with you? Hey, I've got a quick answer. Eh? Badly. Okay, great. It's frustrating when you get the quick answer. Like, I'll pray about it next week. Yeah, I know you're busy. No, he answered me. And actually, I believe that if we want to learn to make decisions that have eternal value, we need to learn to put a framework into our decision making. The first one I would say, and I want to help us a little bit here because I believe this stuff can be practical. The first one I want to say is consider God. That's before you've even asked Him. Because actually God gives us this thing called the Word. And the Word helps us abide in Christ. So actually, you know, what's phenomenal is when you consider God, paying your taxes becomes very easy. Why? Because Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. When you don't consider God, it becomes a conundrum. Like, do I want to do it? You know, it becomes this big thing that we're trying to work out in our head. When you consider the Word of God, it's very simple. The Bible says, so very clear, it says, do not yoke yourself to someone who is not is unequally yoked to you. So when you're deciding to start dating someone who is not a believer in Christ, consider God. The answer's there. I think sometimes we make this stuff so much more complicated. If you consider God's ways, you will live in His will. If you live in His ways, you will live in His will. So many people go, why am I not living in the, in the will of God? Well, because you haven't considered His ways. Because He gives them to us right here. Number one, consider God. Number two, consult God, a.k.a. ask. We believe in a God who speaks. And I would dare to say this, until He speaks, do not make a decision. Until He speaks, do not make a decision. You're considering going overseas for a job opportunity. Ask God. Because if he says yes, it will be blessed beyond measure. And if he says no, your staying will be blessed beyond measure. I believe this with everything inside of me because I've had to do it many times and I've messed it up many times. Ask God. Proverbs 3 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. I promise you, you don't get the big picture. But he does. Ask him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways. Not in some of your ways. Not in the big decisions. No, I want to live. I want to move the goal line. I want to abide in Christ. That means in all of my ways, I've got to consider God. I've got to acknowledge Him. It's a powerful thing, and He will make your path straight. This is promises from the mouth of God. And number three, and it's a simple one, seek wisdom. You see, God gives us people around us. He gives us a community to help us. See, there are men and women who have done this thing before you. If my wife and I are having some challenges, I can come to my friend Gabe and say, hey, I'm not sure how to do this. He's been married longer than me. He's got two children. I'm seeking wisdom. I don't put that wisdom above God. God speaks, I listen to God. 
but I seek wisdom. You know how many people I've had conversations with who have made a decision who have never, ever spoken to anybody else about it. God puts this precedent in place on purpose. That's why we've got to be in community. Proverbs 3 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Proverbs 15 says, without counsel, plans fail. It's there. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. Don't make decisions quickly. Consider God. If someone's saying to you, you need to invest a million rand tomorrow, or you're going to lose the opportunity, lose the opportunity. God has got, he wants to speak. Now, I've related that to a financial reality. Actually, when you tithe at the, at the end of the month, ask God. Don't let it become mechanical. When you give, when you do all of these things, when you spend time with your family, acknowledge Jesus. Abide in him. Shift your goal line. I promise you, I love that end of that scripture. He says, you will be full of joy. I want to be full of joy. Can I ask us to stand? I'd love to pray for us. Just close your eyes for a moment. Father, we come to you now. We say very simply this, King Jesus. Teach us how to abide in you. Father, I pray tonight for myself, God. I want to learn how to acknowledge you in all my ways. I want to learn how to exist grafted into the vine of Christ. I want my life to come from you, Jesus. I want my provision to come from you. I want my joy to come from you. I want my opportunities to come from you. I want my energy to come from you. I want everything, King Jesus, to flow from you. When I'm in hardship, Jesus, because you promise us it won't always be easy. I want to find safety and refuge in you, Jesus. When I'm in plenty, King Jesus, I want to find safety and refuge in you. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would teach us to abide in Christ. I thank you that the most important relationship to every single person in this room would be our relationship with you, Jesus. I pray out of that everything would flow. I pray our work would flow. I pray our sexuality would flow. I pray our finances would flow. I pray out of, out of you, King Jesus, everything would flow. I thank you, Father, right now in this room where guilt has, gr has gripped people and prevented them from being grafted into your vine, Jesus. I pray right now the Word of God would come upon that and destroy it in Jesus' name. Thank you that you say that we are clean because of your word, Jesus. When we invest our lives into you, Jesus, we are washed clean today, yesterday, and forever. And so tonight, Father, we take a moment. We abide in you, our Savior. We abide in you, Jesus. Give us a picture of eternity, God. Show us what an eternity in you looks like, Jesus. Because we know outside of you it is a terrible thing. But inside of you, it is a glorious thing. With every eye closed, I just want to give this opportunity. We want to take a moment every week. If you've never made a commitment to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, see, to abide in Him, you need to have a relationship with Him. 
Every eye is closed. There's no embarrassment or anything like that. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, I'm going to count to three. I want you to raise your hands and we'll pray for you. Three, two, one. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Can we actually celebrate those two hands now as people are made? Thank you, God. Father, we pray over those men now, God. We say, Jesus, would you grip their hearts? Jesus, would you wash away their sin? Jesus, would they turn from their old ways and turn to you, King Jesus? We declare that right now, Father, that your life would flow and your salvation would flow over them, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We place ourselves in your hands, God. Amen.